Thursday, 2 p.m. California time, 3 p.m. Mountain time, 4 p.m. Central time, and 5 p.m. Eastern time. And this is the Pillars of Franchising, broadcasting the secrets of success in franchising. If you're a current franchisee, you want to listen. And if you want to buy a franchise, then this is definitely the show to listen to. And if you're a franchisor, then you should be listening. I'm Fred McMurray, and I'm with my co-host, Ray Pillar of the Pillars of Franchising. How you doing, Ray? I am doing great. It's a beautiful afternoon here in Little Rock, Arkansas again on the Arkansas River, 102 degrees, but I'm inside my coach, so I'm not, I'm not experiencing the, the hot air. But uh, you have plenty of that, don't you, Fred? <laughs> um. There's a lot of hot air in California, but right now it's low 70s, sunny. The, the, the sun is glinting off the Pacific as I sit here um, looking, out the, looking out at it. And uh, yesterday we actually had whales breaching real close. So I'm hoping while I'm on the show, if you hear a, a suddenly exp- uh, me swearing, it's because I've caught whales. So it's beautiful here, Ray. Are any whales in yeah. the river or carp? Mm-hmm. No, no, just uh, I don't know what kind of fish they have here, but a lot of speed boats <laughs> and tug boats. And <laughs> I, uh, last time I was here, I saw fish jumping out of the water and fishermen, but I have no idea what they were trying to catch. Fair enough. So who's our first guest, Ray? Elaine Vakalopoulos. And uh, hi, Elaine. How are you doing today? Hi, guys. I'm great, and I'm very happy to be on your show. So first, Elaine, you have to give us a weather report for where you are, because that's kind of traditional. Oh, absolutely. So I'm on Cape Cod in Massachusetts, and Mm. today we have a little bit of an overcast day. It's in the mid-70s, maybe, having just come off a couple of days that were in the 90s. But just to top off your fish stories, we've had the sharks here. A lot of our beaches have shut down because of the sharks. Awesome. And sad. Well, not for the 26-year-old fellow who got bitten the other day and passed away. Ooh, there was one. I've seen the pictures. We had a 61-year-old fellow a couple weeks ago that just got bitten, and he escaped, and he's okay. But this young man didn't make it. Oh, sorry to hear that. I've seen some pictures lately of people on surfboards, and I thought they were in the Pacific, and great whites swing past close by. Yeah, that's why I don't go mm-hmm. to the water. Yep. I go to the um, beach. I don't go to the water. It's a thing. Um, the, the movie Jaws has come to fruition in a real way. <laughs> that's pretty creepy. All right, so it that is. movie is on is. my list. No, still come. It's still a great place to come, especially this time of year. It really is. Just don't go too far in. You just don't want to become shark bait. The shark bites with his teeth there. Sorry, I won't sing anymore. My kids asked me a long time ago, never sing in public, Dad, so I won't sing anymore. Um, so, okay, man. Go ahead, Ray. You want to – yeah, go ahead. You can kick off with the first oh, okay. question. All right. Elaine, 
Uh, I'm, I, ready. I'm curious. I'm, I'm uh, you know, Uh-oh. he's curious. There, there appears to be a lot of, you know, we talk a lot about franchises and uh, what are some of the, the myths that people have about franchises that are, are being distributed around, you know, what are some of the things that people, uh, you know, think about franchises that are not true? Yeah, I think there's a few of them um, that I don't know that are published, but it's in people's minds. Um, one of them is the franchise just wants my money. I'm not paying them a franchise fee. What, you know, what am I going to get for that? And that's not true. The good ones are looking for solid partners who will succeed over the long term. You know, that franchise fee is the cost of doing business. It's the franchise um, ease cost to get in and be trained and receive the upfront support. And for the franchisor, that is absolutely not where they make their money. Naturally, for them, they're looking to pair up with individuals that are uh, congruent with their values and their systems and in hopes of their success so that the royalties that they pay over the long term will help sustain the franchise to then, in fact, support the the growth of the company going forward. So that's one. Um, Another one is I know what franchise I want and I have the money to pay for it. I just have to decide which one I want. And that's just not the way it works. This is a two-way street. And just because someone has a check, it doesn't necessarily guarantee that an individual will be awarded that particular franchise. There is a lot that goes into the decision, and once again, this is a marriage. This is something that both the franchisor needs to decide on, just like a job interview. Do you fit our culture? Are you going to follow our processes? And is it going to be a good match for both of us long term? Uh, And a lot of times folks go to the discovery day or meet the team day, and one or the other may decide in the end, hmm, not quite right for me. Let's move on. Mm. So those are a couple off the top yeah, of my head. I would say it's worse than a marriage. Sometimes you can get out of a marriage with little, <laughs> with a little, just a little bit of money, but with a franchise, uh, <laughs> you know. Well, that's why you, you, might, you uh, have uh, to do more due diligence. Okay. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So you have to do more work up front, and it's not a quick decision. I think a lot of people are in a hurry. To make that decision, they want to take shortcuts. But when you work with a consultant, we really try to keep you grounded and make sure that you follow all of the steps so that you can come away with all of the information you need to make an informed decision. A lot of times folks just jump in because they think it's the next hot thing without thinking, is it really right for me? Because when you think about it, there isn't any one franchise for all, but there is something for everybody. Yes. So okay, I want to go back to this. I want to go back to this marriage thing. So um, a, I think it'd be much the, the divorce rate would be much much lower if people actually did due diligence before they got married. So I think that's like a really awesome idea. Um, yep. But a, a, according to at least the pillars of franchising, the goal of the pillars is to transfer the opportunity to someone else which I guess could be divorce. But I was going to say all marriages end in either death or divorce. Um, and actually Ray and I have been both through both. So, but you can actually transfer successfully the uh, franchise on to somebody else without mm-hmm. death or divorce. So 
that's, I, I, I raised my hand for yes. that one because that's what I did. I was a franchisee. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I, I, I successfully ran it during the worst recession we've ever had. And I owned a 24-hour gym. And one of my members had come up to me at a couple of different points and said, look, I live down the road. I'm tired of my corporate job. And I've always wanted to own a gym. If you ever think of selling, let me know. And then when the time was right, I let him know, and we did. And now he has taken it to another level. He's moved it to a new location. Since then, he's upgraded things as the franchise or as typically a request, and everyone's happy. I, I, you know, when I was That's I was awesome. reading that, I was one. Uh, I was first thing that came to mind is, and and the reason this comes to mind is because my dad had a had a saloon that was a, a a gold mine. Why does someone give away a cash cow? And I, I when I say give away, I don't, I don't necessarily mean that you sold it at a low price, but I mean obviously it's producing you uh, an income. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why why does someone do that? Well, this someone, for me, it was a life decision. Uh, my son was going on 10 at the time, so he was preteen, and I thought, huh, I might want to be home more. Personally, I was tired of the 25-mile commute, and during the winters here on the Cape, it can get pretty brutal, power outages, this and that, and I was doing this alone. So for me, it was more about pulling some of those responsibilities in and um, taking some burden off of my shoulders. So that was it. That was my mm. decision. Other people, okay. they've, you know, may see other opportunities. It could be that they took it to the level that they wanted. They saw the the equity in it, and decided to do something else, diversify their their interests, or mm-hmm. retire. There there are plenty of reasons why people do it. Um, my dad mm-hmm. was in the variety store business. Sometimes he was forced to. He had a nice ongoing. You know, convenience store business, and the landlord came down and said, "I need you out. I'm going to renovate and put someone, you know, that's going to pay me more rent in here." So sometimes you make the decision oh, wow. yourself. Other times, people make the decision for mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And kind of, still, kind of other speaking, times, I was going to say, right, go ahead. so other times people just want to go off and do something else, which is why sure. I'll probably become a franchisee. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. So. Speaking of uh, other people making decisions for us, we also talked about the franchise agreement being some, uh, somewhat of a marriage where, and a lot of people don't realize that uh, you have to be accepted by the franchise. Or, and yes. what are some of the mis- misconceptions about you know about that? Are you know is that fairly common that a franchisor says, ah, sorry, find someone else? <laughs> you know, I, you know I'm, I'm, I'm just curious. Is. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if it's, like, the common thing. I mean, I can tell you, like, in my practice, with the, the candidates that I work with, I do my very best to make sure I vet the individual and, make, and, and see that they're the right match for the franchisor because I typically know what they're looking for. But sometimes you can be surprised. Um, I had one fellow who was a lovely gentleman. He, this is something he was going to be doing on the side. He's an IT professional, and he was looking at two concepts. One was in the fitness and one was in the hair care business, and they were both going to be semi-absentee. So he couldn't decide, and he wanted to take them both down the line and meet the team. So in June, he flew out and met with the first team in California, came back. The franchise had said to me, 
we love him. He's lovely. We'd be happy to offer him a franchise. But he said, you know what, my wife and I really have our heart set on the other one, which was the hair care. So he waited the month. He went to the other Meet the Team Day. And when he came home, he had in his mind, this is where I'm going to put my stores. I have these ideas. But the CEO had said, very nice fellow, but he's too mild-mannered for our culture. We really don't think he'll be able to fly with that. So that was a bit of a lesson for me, too, because I didn't realize that that was, you know, a criteria for them. It was still an emerging brand, and they were more cutting edge, you know, a little bit more um, hip. Um, the folks that might be the stylists there would be more tattooed or had more piercings. And my fellow was Indian, and they didn't feel like there would be a congruence there. So he ended up regrouping, and we found a different hair care concept that was right for him. Um, not my client, but there was you know, another brand where um, my, can, my colleague's candidate went to the Meet the Team Day, and their fellow just came across really arrogant, knew everything, and the company thought, he's not going to follow our process. We don't think he's a good partner. So we're just going to let that one go and not, not give him an opportunity to take a, you know, one of our uh, franchises. So it can go both ways. All right. So that actually uh, – um, all right. So the first one was a definite uh, culture clash. The mm-hmm. second one was a uh, – what was I'll a say is a – Personality. Pain. Right. So going back to the cultural side of it, um, how often do you see a, a, a franchisor, say, or even somebody looking at – buying a franchise say their culture isn't right um and have you defined any scale to measure uh cultural affinity would it be yeah no no and that was my only case in the years that i've been doing this so i'm just more careful now to pre-screen with the franchisor uh before the formal introduction to say look this is my individual this is what he's like you know he's this personality he's you know from this industry um you know he's not your typical it guy you know he has more of a sales you know background so we just kind of talk it through a little bit more to make sure that we have the right fit that was a lesson learned from me Mm, that's a uh that's a great lesson right it is it is and i think it's you know that goes back to you know being a consultant that really takes her time to really understand the individuals I'm talking to and get a sense for what they're comfortable with. Are you only comfortable with, you know, customers coming to you and you're not having to be involved in it? Um, How experienced are you managing folks? Um, You know, just getting a better gauge on them because that way I can avoid the future pitfalls that they might encounter. Um, We do personality tests. Some of the franchisors give us directly, you know, these, these, are the, these are the characteristics we want to see. If they don't have them, don't bring us your leads. Okay, that's fine. Um, so, it, you know, it's a work in progress. So the, the, if I have any peers out there that may just get a lead and not take them through this really deep dive, they might show them brands in hopes that they just stick, right? And I think that's a very unfortunate mm-hmm. event for all mm-hmm. parties not good for the candidate yep. it's not good for the franchisor it wastes a lot of time i'd rather spend the time up front and i don't care if it's a couple of hours or, or more um and if, even if it goes nowhere i feel like i've done my job 
that kind of reminds me a long time ago I had to take a pers- uh, an honesty test for a job. Well, that's an interesting And uh, I, <laughs> I got called into the office, and they said, you flunked. I said, how is that possible? And they said, well, anybody who makes 100% on the honesty test is probably lying. Seriously. <laughs> they gave me the they, they gave me the job anyway, but you know, I was just wondering how does that make any sense? <laughs> You're lying because you scored a hundred percent, which meant you had to be lying. So if you're saying it, okay, uh, that uh, up to you to ask the next question, Ray. My my head's kind of. <laughs> Uh, it's going to take okay. me a bit to wrap my head around that one. Okay. All right. I'm, uh, uh, I, when I was searching for my franchise, I was, uh, uh, you know, in the technical area. Um, I'm, you know, look, I, and I was actually looking for something, tech, you know, in the technical um, field. But uh, I was pointed in the direction of Molly Maid. And I was wondering how, how, how you know, so – the next question, I guess, is uh, how do you make people feel com- comfortable with concepts that are, you know, like 180 degrees out of phase of what uh, they're thinking about? Yeah. Yeah, that's a fun one. And it, and it definitely is uh, a challenge sometimes. It, it depends on the individual. Some are more malleable than others are more open to suggestion, right? And then some are just like, nope, this is what I want. Um, let's see. So... I think I start with the why. You know, why are you doing this? Yes, you come to me and you say you want IT or you say you want a food concept, but what's your ultimate goal here? And we we break it down. Is it just the money? Is it to ultimately have more freedom? Are you looking to build an asset that you can flip later or leave it to your children or or someone else? I mean, whatever the goals are, I think, is what I start with. And then we try then to fit what works. And then if we understand those, then we say, okay, within those parameters we can find several businesses. Let me show you the one that you think you want, but open your mind up to other ideas too so you can see for the same investment or similar investment level what your day, what your week could look like what quality time you might end up having for your family, and then what your net results could be. So I start with that. I think it's part of the education. Some folks don't budge. Some do. Mm -hmm. I have a a good one. I have a couple that I worked with last year. He, too, he had a Ph.D. in IT. I can't even tell you what kind. It was way over my head. And they, they decided they wanted to do something as a couple, and she had been in HR. Um, so we went down the path, we did the deep consult, and I did show one strict IT company and then a couple of others. And he had kind of an engineering mind, uh, obviously. So we went through it, and he really liked all of them. He's like, this one kind of you know, hits the manufacturing world, and I supply them, so it's a whole different customer base, but I can see the technology they use in the business, and that's kind of fun. And then the other one um, was more B2C, but it was, it gave them more flexibility, and it was going to be more fun, but it also gave them the problem-solving um, craving that they had, and then there was a straight-up IT one. Long story short, although they went down the path plenty with all, all of them, the wife finally said, look, 
no matter what you do, if you choose any of these other companies, the non-IT companies, I know that you're going to come home at night and still fiddle with your IT stuff, and I'll never see you. Just go for the IT. And ultimately <laughs> they did. And it just, it just shows you, too, that you know, sometimes your, your partner, your spouse, can see you in a way that you don't really see yourself. And, you know, they went, they went with that decision, and it was a good one. And, you know, they both have their respective roles in the business, and they get to see each other outside of work, too. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's a good story. And then sometimes, you know, folks say, you know, I show them, you know, three concepts, and sometimes they're surprised by, you know, this outlier, that I see something in it that I think is going to work for them, right? And they're like, what, this, you know, I'm going to give this one a hard time because this, this, and that. And I have a couple in Florida this happened with earlier this year. And um, he was a very macho fellow who sells um, gear to, uh, protective gear, guns and this and that, right, to the military and to police and all that. So anyway, they go down the path and, you know, two of them were a little, they were all a little bit on the softer side. But long story short, he dissed the first two more quickly than I would have liked. I just, I still try to insist that they go down the path to make sure that they understand everything they need to understand before they reject the company because it's just as important for me to know why they're saying no to something as much as they're saying yes. But the, he ended up going with the one that he was going to give the hardest time to. He met the team. He thought they were great. He felt so supported, you know, and um, they're on their way. So people are funny. They don't know what they don't know. And when they do open themselves to this process, a lot of times they can learn a lot about themselves and about a business that they didn't even think was a possibility for them. So the passion yes. they come in with sometimes, you know, can go away because passion doesn't always translate into making money, right? You might love golf yes. but not want to, you know, own a, a golf course. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. So, so Fred, so Fred. Ray. Isn't there something? Isn't there something you need to do? Ah, dude, you're getting good. Uh, I was just gonna say, you know what time <laughs> it is. So, time for station identification. Uh, and the new news of this is the first show that we're actually broadcasting on Ubuntu Linux. Go us. So we want to thank Link Local Network for hosting our show. You can call in with questions, and we got uh, several callers on the line. But you can call it 323-580-5755. That's 323-580-5755. And now a word from our sponsor, one of our sponsors. Ever wonder how successful business people get educated about franchise business options? The Franchise Consulting Company is a group of over 100 franchise professionals with more than 2,000 years of franchise experience. We help our clients select and investigate franchise companies. And like a realtor, our services are free of charge to you. Our fees are paid by the seller. Reach out to us to learn more and get a free copy of the Franchise MBA, the number one bestseller and highest-reviewed book on Amazon in the franchise category. Our website is thefranchiseconsultingcompany.com or feel free to call us on 800-321-6072. And we're back, my friend. Yes, we are. So, Elaine. Yes. What is uh, is there a common thread amongst people who start looking for franchises? Is there some commonality? 
Yeah. Yeah, I think what I'm finding is, you know, a lot of these folks always had a, an itch to own their own business. You know, it's something that maybe they've been thinking about for three years or, um, you know, just recently because they're sick of their corporate job. So part of it is just the desire to build something of their own. Um, and sometimes it's just to, you know, leave their job and do this full time. But sometimes it's just to, you know, build a, a nest egg, a build something on the side for security, for additional revenue. And it mostly just um, really just matters in terms of their, again, their motivation, their desire. Um, that's really the bulk, the, the core of it. I think beyond that, it's a matter of who can pull the trigger. Um, because a lot of people might have the desire, but there are too many things in their way that prevent them from taking the leap. Right? Um, I can I can, I, can I can attest to that because uh, as I was growing up, my dad was an entrepreneur in the uh, liquor and food industry, and I didn't want it to have any part of it <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because you know. Uh, you know, kids are, they, they basically say, dad doesn't know anything. But as I became older and older and older, I began to realize that, well, you know, dad was right. You know, you really yeah. need to own your own business to, to get ahead in this world. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. You know, and, that, um, and that was my, my reasoning in going in the direction. It took me a little while to get there, too. I remember my father in his little Greek accent pointing his finger saying, you don't have to work for someone else. You do it for yourself and work hard, and you keep all the money in yeah. your own pocket. It took me a long time yeah. to get there, but I did. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. what folks just need to do if they have that dream, though, is, one, to learn what kind of finances they need, because I think that's one of the biggest stumbling blocks. Um because some people call and they have a dream, but they have five grand in their in their wallet, right? So that's that doesn't help. Um, so you can have the desire, but not the ability to to execute. You know, some people do, you know, have all of that, yet they have a, an unsupportive partner or someone who's just you know a little too scared to move to the next level. Which I'll leave that topic uh, for my colleague on the line, Rich, if he wants to you know take that one, because that's a, a whole other follow acts, but having realistic expectations, understanding what's necessary, time-wise, financially, and grit, you know, just because someone owns a mm-hmm. franchise doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be successful. That's another one of those myths. Oh, I'll open up a, a store that has a brand name and I will succeed. Well, not so much. You still have to work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can tackle that question of fear uh, when you both get on the line a little bit later. But um, that that is a topic we have discussed on the show a little bit, uh, and it can be quite uh, daunting. As uh, uh, I think most people who start a franchise will, will attest to, I know that uh, almost anybody I talked to, and I, that I told that I was what I was doing, they looked at me and said, "Are you nuts?" You know, mm-hmm. so uh, you know you you really you know, don't get that much support from your friends because they they haven't got a clue what you're going to be going through. But anyway, so Fred, you got any more questions for Elaine? Well, the la- we need to move on, but the last question I'll ask Elaine is, how do people get a hold of you? Ah, well, um, I can be reached at Elaine at yourfranchiseoptions.com, my website, 
is yourfranchiseoptions.com, and my phone number is 508-503-1144. And do you have a Twitter account? I don't. I have okay, a LinkedIn well, account. We, just, well, we probably tweeted at the wrong person. So what's your LinkedIn <laughs> URL profile? Profile URL. Um, uh, beyond just looking me up by my name, because I can assure you there is no other Elaine Vakalopoulos on LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Th- that's a, that's a, gentle, <laughs> a gentle hint that you're violating one of Fred's top four pet peeves on LinkedIn, but that's okay. So <laughs> let's move along, and let's bring on our second guest, Mr. Rich LeBrun. Rich, you there. How are you? It's been fun listening. A lot of great questions. Rich, you're in Chicago. Hi, Rich. You're in Chicago, right, Rich? I am, yes. About 30 miles northwest of the city. Okay, so therefore, the general, uh, as tradition in the show, you have to tell us what your weather report is. Well, we get weather by the day, so today... It's uh, 90 degrees and sunny, so uh, really? we're going to stick with that for today. Oh, that blows chunks. <laughs> <laughs> well, call me tomorrow, and I can probably uh, give you the answer you're looking for. I know that. I mean, I spent, uh, I don't know, 50-plus years there through god-awful winters and god-awful summers and maybe three decent days of spring a year. So, yeah, I know what it is. <laughs> Spring. Hey. You're right. Uh-huh. At, least, at least we have weather, Fred. You don't have weather out in California. I, Just nothing. Uh, <laughs> boring waking the sunshine. Well, we do have the occasional wildfire, and actually, I think it was on Sunday, got up, and it was like, it smelled, you know how when you get too close to a fire, a bonfire, everything smells? It was like that. Um, There's like a 50-acre wildfire just four or five miles north. That was like, whoa. So we do have wildfires <laughs> and earthquakes. Yes, yes, yes. You can have them. Yeah, I know. I don't <laughs> yeah. want them either. But you know, I also don't want blizzards. So what can I say? <laughs> Take it away, Ray. <laughs> All right. Cracking me up. So, all right, <clears throat> Rich, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what is unique about buying with the buying process when purchasing a franchise? What is unique about that as opposed to other things that, you know, buying a new home or something? Yeah, it's, it's one of the most uh, interesting things I need to, as a consultant, get across to our clients and I tell them it's like no other experience, at least on the purchasing side. So I kind of liken it to dating. If I try to make it as simple as possible, maybe that generates a good experience or not. But uh, but this is totally different. You could have all the money and the desire and the talent, uh, but that doesn't always get you in. Uh, Elaine kind of talked about that earlier. Sometimes the franchisor uh, decides that they don't want you in. Uh, it's their name and it's their secrets they're sharing. 
So um, this is a very uh, slow process. It's, uh, it's safe, at least from the consulting side. There's no cost to go through it. Uh, the process itself is very relational. Uh, we, you, know, you, you meet the franchisor, you're getting to know them, and, and they're checking you out as much as uh, you're checking them out. It's an awarding process. So they award you the franchise. It's just not given to you. And it's actually a major decision on both parties. Um, for the buyer, it's a financial and it's vocational and emotional decision, so it takes a lot of time and thought on their side. But on the seller, it's the same. It's, uh, it's their name. It's their secret. Uh, if I always tell uh, my clients, if the business fails and McDonald's fails, uh, it's McDonald's name in the newspaper. It's not the client. So uh, the brand itself is very protective of their name and their secret. So totally different uh, process than most people are used to going through. Uh, they typically think that I'm just going to hop in a car and buy a franchise, and that's ne that's not necessarily how it works. And what they're giving you is the brand and the ability to use that brand, which uh, they've probably developed over a number of years. And it's, uh, you know, you just can't – I know uh, early in my franchise we had uh, some people local to me trying to use some of the – um, a brand uh, uh, language that we used, and I quickly called the franchisor and I s told them about it, and they quickly called them and said, "Stop! <laughs> Don't do that. You can't do that legally." So that's that's pretty important, actually, because the brand is very important to any franchise. Oh yeah, it's, it's everything to them, and it's, it's it's the exciting part, I think, of our industry. Uh, not everybody's an innovator, you know, not everybody has that new idea and wants to start in the garage and build the brand. But at the same time, uh, our clients can come in with an established brand and they get to bring their talent and their personality and be a top performer in the brand. So it's a very uh, very interesting uh, process and interesting relationship. So as Definitely. People, people come to you to, to buy a – they say, I want to buy a franchise, and uh, I – you you attempt to find out what their goals and and uh, wants desires are aspiration uh, aspirations. Um, I've heard a lot of people say they ask them the what's your perfect day um, look like. But my question is is what's the weirdest reason somebody ever gave you for wanting to buy a franchise? That's an interesting question. Um, gosh, a weirdest reason? I wouldn't call them weird. They're just different reasons. Um, you know, it's really kind of it's kind of what they think is important to them. You know, a guy out on the West Coast, he just loves biking, so he wants to buy a bike repair uh, franchise. Or, but they don't understand anything about the business. And that's kind of generally what happens. People kind of go, oh, I love making cakes, so they buy a bakery, but they really shouldn't be in the bakery business. So... I can't classify it weird. It's just interesting how they're coming, how they're coming to us with kind of preconceived notions and reasons that they want to buy a franchise. So, so it's different for different for many different kinds of people that there are out there. So I, yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, I, what I what I love about this, this industry is I always tell my clients this: I don't know where it's going to end up. And that's the most fun part of the journey. But I can't tell you how many times, and I've talked for myself and my colleagues. For example, I had a lady who was a personal trainer, and she, I said, I want to buy a fitness brand. She was sold on it. Her and her husband made sense to them. And they walked away buying a dry cleaners. 
And it's like, how did that happen, right? It's like, well, yeah, how did yeah. that happen? Well, when they when they listed all their goals and objectives, you know, the the passion piece was being a personal trainer. It made sense, but they had other goals like you know income that they want to earn and scalability and hours and all those type of things. And we introduced them to the uh, dry cleaning industry and talked about how you know one of the top brands for making millionaires and how you can scale. This going to be semi-absent, and you could buy a brand that's already in business already, so you have an instant cash flow. Their ears perked up, and they went down that path, and they ended up buying three of them. So. Oh, wow. Uh, Moving on up. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Fun. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering when Fred was going to get that one. <laughs> uh, it took me a bit, but, yeah, pretty good, my friend. Pretty good. <laughs> you can tell we're old. Hating yourself. <laughs> Yeah, no one doubts I'm old. <laughs> I have grandkids. So, so <laughs> all right, Rich. As someone is 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 walking down the path to to acquire a franchise, what are some of the steps and key milestones they might come into uh, that uh, would swing them one way or the other? Yeah, and this, this is probably where I spend a lot of my time because, uh, remember, everybody's kind of come in. When they, if you go buy a car, you go buy anything, you always have this wall up. You know, someone's going to sell me something, and I have to make a decision that day. And this is a long-term process. This, this process can take two to four months. I mean, this, this, this can take time. And so I always have to remind them that they're nowhere, nowhere near a decision-making stage. So I kind of walk them through. I said, you know, you're going to go through this phase we call it investigative stages. You're going to meet me. You're going to learn about We're going to put a business model together and get to know you. And you're going to do some research and kind of find brands that match up to your objectives. I'll present those. But that's just all investigating. We're just going to pull this together. And so you're not even in, you're not even in decision mode. Maybe you're 0 to 20% because you're even thinking, maybe you're even thinking, is this the right process? And then we walk into the educational where we actually introduce them to the franchisor. They take the webinars and meet the CEOs and higher-up executives. And they validate with the franchisees, and they get a chance to see it, feel it, touch it, taste it, whatever they need to do, do to have to invalidate. Now they're inching along in, in that decision-making stage, which is still maybe at best halfway. And then we kind of go through the, what we call the prove-it stage, where they got to do the legal review, and they put your foreign financial performance and financing, and now they're getting more serious. They've kind of switched over to that 50-yard line, and they're kind of now thinking this is going to potentially happen, and as they get more and more of those answers, they get closer. And then they finally go to either they call Discovery Day or Meet the Team Day, and this is where the final step is. Also for the franchisor, this is where they get to meet the spouse, meet, and they go to dinner, get a chance to meet the entire team, the client does. Uh, and then there's, you know, to pretty much that's close to Decision Day. Some For some franchisors, it is Decision Day, but some say, well, go home, think about it for another week. So I, what I have to do is keep reminding them to stay in the game that this is a safe journey, they're not going to pull the trigger unless they get all the I's dotted, T's crossed, but they're always got that wall up, thinking, oh, I have to buy this today, and I have to slow them down, make sure they're methodical, make sure, as Elaine mentioned earlier, that we're helping them make the right decisions, and then let them know when they're getting closer to the decision-making process. And that seems to be the, uh, when I do that, it seems to keep them focused on, on, on the journey. Yes, right. 
one of the things that, that came to mind while, while you were saying that is basically how many franchise franchises do people look at at any one time? I, I was probably looking at least a, at, at a half a dozen in my search. Is that fairly common? And, and, if, and if so, how, how far in depth do they go to each one of the franchises they're looking at? Yeah, there's a little. There's some different schools of thought on that. Um, half a dozen would probably be high, in, in the way we look at, uh, we like to keep it somewhere three or four or five at most. Um, now, the question is, if they're just going to get on the phone, have an introductory call, doing four is manageable. You know, so maybe 45 minutes to an hour over the next week and a week and a half. That's manageable. They can do that. So we can say, well, you know, take four and. You know, let's take your top four where you're interested in that we've shown you. Uh, but after that, we say, you know, to manage more than one or two, gosh, three at most, is very overwhelming because as soon as you get on this this process of after you, if you had the initial call and you like the franchisor and the franchisor likes you after initial call, then, then the, the door is open. Then you start getting uh, emails and webinars and conference calls, and pretty soon it gets just way too overwhelming. So we like to get them down to just, you know, maybe, a, maybe four out of the gates if they just want to have an initial call, and then really kind of you know, eliminate a couple, stick with your top one or two, uh, and then kind of dig deep into there because uh, it's going to get, it's just going to pick up steam and get overwhelming as they dive into it, assuming that they're still interested and the franchisor is still interested in them. Mm. How many people do in-depth um investigation, you know, due diligence. Uh, when I say in-depth, I mean actually interviewing other uh, owners of, the, of that particular franchise. Or even just reading yeah. the FDD. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I had some, I had a, a client who is, you know, going to spend quite a bit of money, and, uh, and they were, you know, they were really reluctant to, to do the, to do the um, investigation, Okay. And I, I understand that because you know if I were to, if you were calling on an employee and trying to get references, you would always say the employer would give the good references. That would make sense. So they kind mm-hmm. of felt the same way about the franchise industry. And although that's somewhat true, of course the franchisors would love to give you know just their best references. The client has the ability to talk to anybody they want to, and I always tell them, remember this is a family you're jumping into. So if you talk to one of these franchisees and they give you great story and you end up buying it, just remember you're going to see them at Thanksgiving at the dinner. Yeah. And uh, you can look at you can, yeah, you can look them across the table and go, what did you tell me that for? You know, it's kind of a family. So, uh, yeah. So we That's really true. try to, yeah, we try to encourage them to, you know, really that we consider the validation stage extremely important. Okay. Um, but, mm-hmm. uh, it's really up to the client. We just kind of try to lead them in that direction and, uh, and some go the other way, and our job is to free them up with the analysis, uh, paralysis by analysis. They're just looking for a reason not to buy, and then we generally just ask them that question. If you really don't want to buy, you can, wait, you can stop wasting everybody's time. Let's just kind of move on. How far do you recommend people go into uh, in-depth in uh, research on a particular franchise? Well, you know, in the consulting stage, we kind of ask, you know, what's, how do you make decisions? You know, a lot of them are very analytical and some are very emotional. So we, as a good consultant, we try to be the alter ego to either one of those. If they're over-analytical, we have to kind of you know, be careful that they don't get into that 
paralysis by analysis. If they're too passionate and they're just overlooking things, we can say, hey, maybe there's a couple more I's you need to dot and T's across. So we try to keep the pace at just a good pace. Um, none of us as consultants want our clients to buy a brand and not succeed. That's, it's not good for us. It's not good for mm. our clients. It's not good for the, for the franchisors. So we're doing our best to help them make the decision the way they, they do. And I always tell them, you know, at the end of the day, trust yourself. You've bought houses before. You've bought very big, you know, you've bought big purchases before. Trust your decision-making process as a family. But allow this. Mm-hmm. Allow yourself to go through this and let the facts lead you to the conclusion. Excellent. Yeah. I, I think uh, um, we're due for a break. Is that correct, Fred? Um, yes, Ray. We are. So, again, okay. I'll remind people. So, you... Well, when we, when we come back, when we come back, uh, I'd like to I, uh, talk to everyone, both uh, of our guests, about the fear factor. All right, Fred. and we can do that. But so then, if you're going to do that, then I got my one last question um, for oh. Rich. Rich, you're um, besides being helping people find uh, businesses. Uh, life isn't all business with you. You're a board member for a not-for-profit, aren't you? I am, yes. What's the not-for-profit? Uh, it involves the brand uh, not-for-profit called Food for Friends. We provide uh, um, food for the homeless. We, we're kind of a parachurch organization. Where we come along and we, pro- we provide all the food and the volunteers for soup kitchens and uh, things along that order. So where can people find more information on that? Uh, that would be called foodforfriends.org. Awesome. I always like to get to um, causes onto the show. So I uh, want to oh, thank our... <laughs> uh, you guys could talk to uh, one of our past guests, and he was the one who started... Never mind. I can't remember the magazine. It was the way you remember. <laughs> Streetwise. No. Streetwise. Streetwise. Oh, yeah, Streetwise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So. <sighs> and next month is Domestic Violence Awareness, Awareness Month, and we'll have a special show for that. So now that we got the not-for-profit news out of the way, we want to thank our network, the Link Local Network, for having us. We want to remind callers that they can call in at 323-580-5755, and toward the end of the show, we'll take any calls or questions. And now for our sponsor. Hey, franchise owners. Does the marketing that corporate provides for your franchise go far enough? Do you struggle to get local clients to call or come through your door? At Mediavine Marketing, we love working with franchises like yours to personalize and localize your marketing efforts through social media sites like Facebook or Instagram, in emails to your current and past customers, with Facebook or Google ads, and whiteboard animation videos. Contact Mediavine Marketing today at 805-265-5440 or go to mediavinemarketing.com. That's 805-265-5440. Mediavine Marketing. We know franchises and we want to help yours grow. And we're back, Ray. And so is Elaine. So, eh, good. 
Because I think once a a potential franchise owner begins to realize how much money they're going to be spending and how much time they're going to have involved in in uh, starting the franchise, the fear factor begins to take hold. So how can we alleviate alleviate that? You know, to some effect. I ask both, and whoever pipes in first can answer that, and, and then go from there. Uh, my most important thing is knowledge. Once you educate someone, I think little by little it starts to answer those unknowns and some of that fear can be abated. That's one of the key ones in. Rich? Yeah. You know, it's um, interesting. Almost all our clients are, are middle management to upper management executives. And um, one thing I try to remind them is that they have the skill set. They're running companies or running teams or you know, they all know about market share and financial statements. It's kind of what they did in corporate America. And for some reason, when it comes to, to buying a franchise, they forget all that. Hmm. So I, I just try to bring them back to the vision of, what, as Elaine mentioned earlier, why are you doing this? But I also try to bring them back to who they are. And it's no different than switching jobs. Okay, but, but the key thing here is they have to bet on they're betting on themselves. So they try to get them back to the vision, get them back to their skill set, remind them that they could do this. And as long as you dot the eyes, as Elaine said, do your homework, uh, and don't you know you're not going to do this if it doesn't make if it can't prove itself up. And that's what I love about this industry. You can literally prove this thing out is pretty far along the way. You can't get 100% risk free, but you can get pretty close to understanding your risk. Uh, and then just at the end and say, you know, just trust yourself, you know, invest in yourself and you know, go back to the reason why you want to do this in the first place. Okay, so the answers I heard were information or knowledge and trusting yourself. And here I thought I was being too stupid to quit until you succeed. Um, okay. <laughs> so then how well, that, many people – That could play. <laughs> how many – I'm a Chicagoan at heart. Um how many people have do you ever see basically become so overwhelmed with the fear that uh, it either stops them from buying a franchise, or it it they do buy the franchise but then they fail because of the fear? Elaine, take us in. Huh. All right. Um, thank God I haven't seen any franchisees fail yet. So I'm going to knock a piece of wood right now. Um, I think, you know, to, to Rich's point, the ones that really move ahead is because they're comfortable with themselves and they know that they can overcome obstacles. Um, sometimes you just don't know why people stop the process. I had a candidate from Dallas who, in the middle of our due diligence, he stopped because his wife was so fearful and he needed to bring her up to speed and get her comfortable with his talent. And she eventually got there, but that took that way, that took a couple of months out of the process for us. So we really were on pause for a while until he settled things at home. Then he came back, she was on board, and he's right now at the point where he's finding the contractor to build out his new store. So he was at least transparent with me, and I knew what was happening. Other people sometimes just go away, and you just don't know why. So you mentioned build out of the storefront um, and yeah. 
So let's kind of segue, use that to segue toward talking about real estate and franchisees and, and how they pick their real estate and what should Ray, um, I've been with Ray as he's gone from one location to another, but what should a franchisee uh, be thinking about? They've signed their franchise or they're getting ready to sign their franchise agreement, but what should they be thinking about to pick a place to uh, put down roots and start their business? Mm-hmm. Well, generally they know what location they want to settle in. So if someone's in the Bay Area, if someone's in St. Louis, Missouri, um, the villages in Florida, wherever it may be, they have a general idea. Typically, the franchise companies have a real estate department that helps settle the where. The ultimate decision comes together with the, the franchisee, but it shouldn't be just the, the franchisee saying, I want to be in that plaza. One, it may not be the right plaza. The franchise company knows what kind of traffic counts they need, what kind of anchor they need, and every other criteria that's important to them is already written. So the franchisors typically work with national commercial real estate firms that are the feet on the street to help them source that. And that broker will take the franchisee around when the time is right to say, okay, these are the locations that are good possibilities for you for the following reasons, which one is most comfortable for you, let's negotiate and go from there. I think, you know, one of the topics here is there are a lot of franchises that are chasing the same square footage. So there happens to be a sweet spot these days where 12 to 1,800 square feet is what various concepts are seeking, whether it's food, fitness, or something else. And what may happen in certain markets is that you might have too many brands chasing the same spot. And it's not just franchises looking for them. It could be independent stores as well. Uh, so I just think that is something to keep in mind. You know, as we as consultants, when we talk to folks, um, you know, knowing where the, they're located and to prepare them for either potentially higher rents, potentially higher build-outs, because maybe the landlords aren't um, – they don't have to give away – tenant improvements. They don't have to give away free rent, whereas some other markets might be. So I think that's a little bit about the retail side and preparing folks for the real estate aspect. Rich, your thoughts. Yeah, yeah it's, you know, um, in just a little background, both Elaine and I, not only colleagues in the consulting world, but the, we both have similar backgrounds, been in commercial real estate for many years. So uh, this is near, a subject that's near and dear to our heart. So I'm going to take the operational side because uh, that's, that's a lot of times the side that gets overlooked. You know, everybody, everybody knows the location, location, location theory, and that's true. You know, the locations obviously are different for different brands. Some need to be at Main and Main. Some could be a B location, but still location is still important. But, what, but you could have the best location in, in the whole city and, and the worst landlord or the best location mm. and the worst building. Okay, for functionality or parking or tenant mix. So we say find a location. Uh, definitely, uh, just like we're, we feel we add value to our clients, uh, a good commercial real estate broker, if they're offered by the brand, great. If they're not, to get the best one in your market is invaluable. That, not, you know, that's the best place to start, user expertise. So once you find a location, then you really want to kind of know what I consider a couple key components. You want to know who the landlord is. Are they an institution or are they a private party? Why does that matter? 
do you want to know if they have a deep enough pockets to maintain the property? Whereas Lane mentioned uh, tenant build-outs, do they have enough money to, to do the, the construction for your space? Can they afford to give you more? Sometimes these institutions can you have deeper pockets and they can do contribute more, whereas maybe a private party can't. Um, tenant mix. You really want to know if you're going into the right property. If you know who's who's your neighbors, are they competing with you? They compliment you. There's odors or noise that could affect your business. Uh, another piece of the lease, lease structure. And this is a very long conversation, so I'm not going to get in depth. But you know, getting a good broker will help you understand how rent structures are are designed. You really want to know what you pay as a tenant versus what the landlord pays. You want to know the condition of the property because. The conditions of property, how it's maintained, is you're going to be paying for it one way or the other. But I want to give you one one specific thing. Though. It's, it's really bothered me sometimes in the, in the real estate world, if, especially if you're in a retail business, bricks and mortar, where you have type, some type of retail operation, meaning a hair salon or massage or food or whatever. If you are going into a space that's heavily anchored by a large big box user, grocery store or discount store or whatever, you're going there for a reason because you want traffic to be driven to that center by that big box so you get the spillover into your business. If that big box goes out of business, which we've seen a lot in this marketplace today, you're left with this big hole in that center, but your rents could stay the same same level. So a simple clause, I refer to as a go-dark clause, would save your business by just saying if that big box goes out of business, I, my rent gets reduced by 50% until you get it replaced. So a good real estate broker will help you understand those things that could really make or break your business. You want to look at things like renewal options, expansion options, and ability to sublease. And the last piece real quickly is really just the condition of the property. If it's a brand-new property, it's obvious. It's like a brand-new house. You have less maintenance. If it's an older property, you want to make sure that you're checking out some of the bigger things of how the property has been maintained. So that's kind of the operational side of uh, what uh, a good real estate person should help you look at. So, Ray, if I can add one more thing, I'm sorry. Okay. I was going to ask Ray. Just one more thing. Uh Uh-huh. Going back to the strength of the individual's finances, having a little extra cushion in their liquidity is important because the the franchise might give an estimate of what it would cost to build out the space. And, you know, you might make an adjustment 10% or something, but if you are in one of these coastal markets where there's high demand and – high occupancy, you might need to be prepared to put in a little extra and get extra bids because I had a tenant, I'm sorry, a franchisee that recently got three bids. They ranged from a low of 280 to a high of 425000 Well, that would make a huge difference to his budget, wouldn't it, and his what his future break-even would look like. Mm-hmm. So, Ray, do you have a go-dark clause in this lease? I do not, because actually my location has more to do with my employee base. Uh, because what I, in my industry, which is the clean, home cleaning industry, being closer to your your employee base is much more important than being close to your clients, because my clients are scattered over a, a quite a wide area. And there is no really uh, a central point for that. But being close to my employee base, uh, now I can seek employees who are minutes away from home instead of hours. And uh, retention becomes uh, uh, much more uh, valuable 
in in my industry than uh, being you know being close to my clients. So that's important. What else, Ray? Well, uh, what I have learned in in, in my uh, past endeavors is that people who live more than, I would say, 20 to 30 minutes from their job uh, are more likely to quit their job than people who are, you know, much closer. So, uh, and that holds true, I think, across the industry, blue and and white collar, as far as I know. Um, Although I do know people who drive several hours to work and have been doing it for years, um, and it doesn't hold true uh, across the board. Okay. So I know we got a caller. I want to bring our caller on, see if they have any questions. Um, Hello, caller. Who is this? Fred, I'm on. I, I don't know if you were trying to reach another caller or not, but uh, this no, is Ron, Ron Silverstein. Ron Silverstein. How are you? What question would you like to ask? You know, I've seen uh, I've seen some transactions lately, and I'm, I'm looking both from the franchisor and the franchisee side, where uh, once somebody got involved in exploring a specific franchise. Uh, let's talk about my franchisee client right now who just bought a franchise. Uh, part of his due diligence related to the build-out cost, uh, we had him asking uh, the franchisees that he was calling up uh, to talk about you know, the business he wanted to buy. Uh, if the build-out costs that were estimated by the franchisor and the FDD were accurate, and uh you know, so normally, uh, normally you can get a pretty good handle on what your build-out costs are going to be by talking to existing franchisees to see how accurate uh, the franchisor was. And uh, you know, my experience in uh, in the real on the real estate side with uh, tenant improvements, getting them from the landlord. Uh, while there are exceptions to anything, I think most landlords are willing to give an allowance, but they just build it into the rent anyway. So it may be that if it's a strip center owned by an individual who isn't well financed, you know, maybe they can't afford to do it. But if you're going in to a decent-sized strip center uh, or a good location with somebody that owns multiple centers. I don't think it's that difficult to get uh, tenant improvement allowances, but the franchisee is paying for that anyway in almost every instance. It's just being added into the rent. So, you know, if if the landlord's putting up 100000 and you're getting a, signing a tenant, you should take approximately $10,000 more to pay them back and probably a little more than that if build in the financing costs that the landlord may be paying. So uh, I think in almost all cases, the tenant improvement part isn't really an issue because the the franchisor will know what they can get. The real estate company will 
you know, what they can get. And the franchisee ends up paying for it anyway. It's not like they're getting it for free. Uh, that's what that's what my experience has been on both sides, franchisor side and franchisee side, and that a lot of help is given by the franchisor uh, unless they're a brand new one that doesn't have a track record. So I think the real estate, uh, the the main issue on the real estate that I've seen, uh, I think like uh, Elaine brought up was uh, there's a lot of spots that franchisees may want now where you have multiple businesses like looking for an end cap an end unit on a strip center uh, or one where a drive-through can be put in those are very high in demand and a lot of franchises franchise systems are having difficulty finding the kind of locations that they want because uh, they're hard to come by Right. Uh, I mean, have you seen that? Have, have you guys seen that? Elaine. Well, honestly, I don't often stay too close to that after they've acquired the franchise. You know, I let them do their thing, and I try to check in, and it just happens that I have two fellows that are, you know, at that final stages right now. So I, w- I wish I had more uh, anecdotes for that. Um, but I just had that one fellow up here in New England who was, you know, a little surprised that the rents were higher than he had anticipated. And, um, you know, this, the bidding process. So the fellow in Dallas uh, is having better luck. Um, his landlord was more sophisticated and did provide more tenant improvements. Um, I'll take more data for the future. Awesome. Rich, your thoughts? Yeah, it's um – it's definitely you're right. It's a supply and demand. We are some seeing a lot of changes in the, in the especially the retail centers where the big boxes have moved out and they're not coming back. So they're bringing non-traditional uses in, maybe more gym, gyms or medical uses. Uh, so their landlords are are getting a little more incentivized to to give the tenant improvements. But uh, yeah, A locations are still A locations. Demand is still there, and you got to be first in. Uh, or you got to be patient. That's the other thing is, uh, you know, maybe if you, you get a good uh, broker, he'll know what's going on in the industry. So, you know, why don't you wait six months and that space will become available. And that six-month wait might be, all, you know, make all the difference in the world for you. Yeah. And don't let folks fool you about, you know, the retail trends. You know, malls are going through a major transition, and, you know, mall space typically is not what we think about when we think about franchises. The ones that we're looking at are, you know, anchored by a food store or some kind of, you know, strip plaza, even freestanding or downtown. But there was a report I recently read from the, I think it was called the National Retail Federation, that said last year alone there were over 4,000 new stores that opened, and for every store closure, 2.7 stores were opening, new stores. Whoa. So retail is alive and well, and franchises just happen to be taking a larger share of, you know, the, the GDP that's being produced. Yeah, let me piggyback on it. You know, it's interesting. Somebody asked me what percentage of retail sales do you think are attributed to the Internet? You know, you know I don't know what you guys would guess, but I guess a very high number. It was under 8%. Uh, so uh, as much as we all hear about Amazon, Amazon's not going to, you know, cut hair. <laughs> They're not right. going to replace the fitness industry. And those, are the They're still, those stores are still growing, as well as food brands. 
So the only time I really worry about market share is the market share of my clients. So everyone else, yeah, not so much. Um, Ray, <laughs> you got <any> last question. <laughs> Ray, did we lose? I think I know. I'm, I'm, I'm still, I, I, I have been listening intently because the conversation has been uh, absolutely fabulous. But I, I think one of the things we want to make sure that we have all of Rich's information so that people can contact Rich if they need to. God, you get better and better at this. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, you can, con- you can contact me at LeBrun, L-E-B-R-U-N, advisorygroup at gmail.com. You can check out my website at rlebrun.com. And my number is 224-678-9212. All right. Well, that does it for another week. We want to thank the Link Local Network. Uh, thank our friend Ron Silberstein from calling in. We were getting kind of echoey there from you, Ron. Um, Ray, any final franchising thoughts? All I have to suggest to anybody who owns a franchise is attend every event that the franchisor puts on because you will always learn something, if not from the franchise or from the, from other franchises that are uh, franchisees that are attending the event, as I did this uh, last week. And what else should they do every week, Ray? Get drunk? No. <laughs> okay, I can't fight that logic, but I was going to say listen to Pillars of Prince. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, dude, you're cracking me up there. All right, folks, we'll, we'll talk to you again next week. Bye now. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, everybody.